My name's Bill. I'm glad that you're here today. Some of you are, are new today, and we want to tell you a little bit about what's going on if you are new. Uh, the church here now is in a transition, and we are now looking for a new pastor, and we're getting close. We've been working on that for a little while, doing our homework, and beginning the next two weeks, you have a little flyer, I believe, in your program, and it tells about uh, Zach and Grace and Melissa and Levi and Carrie and uh, Ryan, and Carrie Bowman will be speaking here the next two weeks, and then if you go to the back of the program, it tells you different opportunities you have to connect with them during that time period. We think it's really, really important for you not only to hear them speak and, and share the word, but also to get to know them through the time. Now, Kerry is uh, from Indianapolis right now. He has been pastoring a church there for quite a while. He started a church, grew to some real significance, dotted churches off of that. Actually, he's the son of a farmer. The first service, I said they have a farm of 75,000 acres. <laughs> I meant 7,500 acres. <laughs> so I want to make that absolutely correct. That's still a pretty big uh, farm as far as that goes. In fact, uh, today, as, far as, as long as we're going east, I thought we were going east to West Virginia here in the first couple of songs. What would you think, huh? Thank you. The way you uh, kind of tickled those strings, Greg, that was awesome on the banjo. I loved hearing that. Was that fun or what? That was fantastic. I'll tell you, the talent uh, in this church and the people in this church and the, the worship leaders, but more important than, it, than the talent, is where they go in taking us before the throne, before our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great place to go. What a great place to be. Praise God for that, for sure. Um, so you know what's happening the next couple of weeks. So grab somebody, bring them along, and let's take a look at what God is doing for this church moving forward. I want to talk about the depth of the prayer that says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Have you heard this before? Anyone? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It goes on to say, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That was always a great verse for me because my wife's maiden name is debtor. She always loved it, too. Forgive me, forgive me, she'd say. <laughs> and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And this, by the, by the way, the last part, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is a doxology that was added by the very, very early church to sing the praise that was at the end of this prayer. Where do we get this prayer? Who gave us this prayer? Who told us to, pre to pray this prayer? We all know who that was. It was very personal. It was by our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So let's pop to the next slide. There's five things that we're going to identify here together this morning. And first of all is that the first sentence of this prayer, because that's, the, that's as far as we're going to get today, but the first sentence of the prayer says to embrace the Father as your Father. The first sentence in the prayer says to live in the reality of heaven, to set your sights on something other than just the world that we live in. The first sentence of the prayer says to worship the majesty and the power of his name. The first sentence of the prayer says to be fully aware of the true conflict that is being fought in this world before you were ever born, and it is still being fought out in your life. 
And the first sentence of the prayer tells us to bring back the king and his kingdom. Let's do a word association to just get started. When you hear the word father, you don't have to shout it out or anything, but just in your mind, begin to think, what do you think of when you think of father? Some of us may have a great father, like my children. <laughs> One of them's here. So <laughs> she's shaking her, don't shake your head, say yeah, like this. <laughs> Some of you may have an okay father. Some of you may have a father that you say, mm, not so good, and some of you may have or have had a father that, well, it's not good at all. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that no matter what kind of father that you have or had in this life, you got a better one. You've got a better one. You've got a great one. We're going to break that down for you so that from now on when you pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're going to think of it in a different way than you ever have before. We first start with the whole concept of our Father. So what do we know about our Father in heaven? Let's look first of all to Romans chapter 8, verses 15, 16, and 17. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, which is another way you could say it is Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. Now, you may have been born in a rich family, and you may be an heir, but to be an heir of God is a whole different level. Heirs of God, and catch this, co-heirs with Christ. Now what level are you at? If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now that's a difficult last part of that verse in some ways. We don't necessarily want to volunteer to share in the sufferings. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But if we share in his sufferings, we also share in what? The glory of God. We share in it. We bask in it. Let's look at some things that we learn from this particular passage. The benefits of this father over any earthly father is that you don't, first of all, one that I put didn't put on here because it deals with the first one as far as the bottom line, but you're not slaves anymore. You're free. Not only are you free, you can now have courage and not live in fear. That's like standing and walking behind the Father as he is protecting you. Not only do you have courage, but you can also, you have adoption. You are not alienated. You're not ignored with this Father. Not only that, you're in a family with this Father. 
In fact, your brother. He is not afraid to call us brothers or embarrassed, but Christ calls us brothers and sisters. Not trying to be, except for Sister Tia. We're not orphans, but we're heirs. That means we're not left out. We are part of the greatest inheritance that will ever happen in the history of the world and even beyond. Not only are you heirs, you share in his glory. You don't go and share in shame when you're part of this family and he is your father. Until this invitation of Jesus, it was unthinkable to call him father. It never happened in the Old Testament. No prayer does someone personally go to God and say, our, my dear Father, Father in heaven. That's, that seems inconceivable and unfamiliar to us, but that's the case. I was afraid I'd get these in the wrong order, and I did that. All right, I got it back, though. <laughs> Quick recovery. Never in the Old Testament is God addressed personally. To utter the sacred name of God was forbidden. But Christ changes all of that. In every prayer of Jesus in the New Testament, except for one, in every prayer of Jesus in the New Testament, except for one, he calls God Father. He starts his prayer with Father. My Father. My Father in heaven. The one that he did not was on the cross. It's prophesied in Psalm 22. It says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that very moment, the sin of your life and my life and the whole world was on Christ. And the Almighty God turned his face from the Son because of his holiness. But every other prayer, he calls him his Father. And in teaching his troops to pray, the Lord says, here's how you ought to pray. I want you to call him your father. He invites us to that because we have a relationship with God. Now, in order to understand how foreign this was, I want to first look at Isaiah's incredible picture of God. Going to that particular text, let's look at this and think while you're looking at this, did Isaiah even think for a moment to call him father? Well, not with the vision that he had. In the year uh, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their eyes. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. No, this is not Lord of the Rings. This is a reality picture of what Isaiah saw. There are things in creation that we have not seen yet, but somehow these majestic creatures were there, and Isaiah was watching all of this. Let's go on. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. See, this is a picture of the future that Isaiah was seeing. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I could picture him flat on his face on the ground. He looked up, he saw this, and he couldn't look anymore. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King of glory. What did not come across his mind or into his heart was to, even for a second, turn and call him Father. He wouldn't dare do that. This is the almighty, powerful God, and he is in his presence. But something changes everything here and kicks open the door for the personal connection with God the Father. It's forecast here in Isaiah as the account continues. Then, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. It's a picture of our future. It already happened in the atoning work of Christ where he has paid the price for your sin. But the picture here is something that is grand. It is our entrance into heaven. And so now, when you say our Father, you are praying to a Father who has paid a price for your sins with who? With his son. With our sins forgiven, what can we do? We can embrace him as father. Next, Jesus turns our attention toward heaven. So embrace this father as your father, but also live in the heavenly reality or the reality of heaven. Here's what I mean. It is so hard to get outside of the reality of the world that we're living in and the circumstances around us that it's extremely difficult to start thinking about heaven and to even live for heaven. Now, you perhaps have heard it said, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. You ever heard that phrase? I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Now, we live in this world, and we need to minister and and reach this world and make a connection, and, and we serve our families, and we love God, and we have to do that. We can't be transported right now to heaven. But in our minds, the prayer is inviting us to, first of all, acknowledge that we have a Father that's above all fathers and offers all great things to us, and we are also invited in this passage right here, as you pray this prayer, to recognize our Father is in heaven, preparing, waiting for us. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. 
and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. We're his people. We're his people. They're my people, God says to us. I love that. <laughs> He's not embarrassed to claim us. He's not some concept. He's a person. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Hmm. We cannot explain or describe the expanse and the greatness of heaven. Can't do it. Did you ever try to do it? I've tried to think about that, and in my mind, flatlines somewhere. Pretty early on, as I'm thinking about, okay, there, I know that the streets of gold stuff and everything here on earth, there's a lot of neat things here on earth, and if God created the neat things on earth, he must have created something that is way beyond all of that in heaven. Okay, I get that, but the one thing I can describe is this particular passage of what he does. What's he do? He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Okay, there is a great description of heaven. If you can't wrap your mind around the gold stuff and all of that and these six-winged characters flying around or whatever, you can grab this. Take a deep breath and think of it. No more death. No mourning. No crying. No pain. Let's go to the next slide. Advantages of focusing on heaven. Our Father, the Great Father in heaven. I'm going to take the first and the third one together. First of all, it's coming soon and it lasts forever. Okay, draw a line in your mind from Los Angeles to New York. Got it? Let's put a line between the two cities. Got it? All right. Now, we're going to put your light on that mat, on that timeline. Boop, little dot. Just a little dot. Actually, it wouldn't even be a little dot because you're talking about eternity. I'm not even sure it would show up at all. Yeah, it would. It's a speck. It's a speck. Now, some of you are here in the room, and you're thinking, well, I'm going to, you know, I may live another 70 years. I'm not thinking that right now for me. <laughs> you know, I won't have to laugh. <laughs> I'm going to live another 50 years. I'm going to live another 30 years. I'm going to live another 20 years. We don't know. You know, if the Lord tarries, we could live a long time, some of you. Right? You know what it is? Still a dot. Still a speck. Still a little piece. And imagine that we take all of our effort and we put it into that and not that. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So now when you pray that prayer, I want you to think of this. Our Father, he's incredible. Wiping away my tears, he's doing all of that, he's in heaven. 
He's waiting for me. And he sent his Holy Spirit to be involved in my life day in and day out so he can whisper in my ear. So embrace the Father as your Father. Live in the reality of heaven. Next, Jesus tells us to praise the Father's name. Hallowed be thy name. In this we worship the majesty and the power of his name. All right, I've got a question for you. How majestic is he? You can't, you can't describe that either. That was a trick question. It's like the heaven question. You know, how expansive is he? Can you think of heaven? Well, how majestic is he? Listen to Paul in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Point being, nobody. No one has ever had to counsel him. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Nobody. For from him and through him and for him all are all things. That's fairly complete. To him be the glory forever. How long? Forever. Amen. You still want more? You're still not quite convinced? Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Part of the prayer, remembering heaven and the benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Some of your diseases... Some of your sins? No. This is a prophetic look to the completed work of Christ. When we enter into God's presence, this is what we see. It's an extremely clear, visionary picture of exactly what we are stepping into. Who redeems your life from the pit? Anyone need that? Has anyone been in the pit in the room? One. One person's been in the pit. <laughs> and everybody else is locked. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been there. Sometimes it's a short little window. Sometimes it's a little longer window. Sometimes it's way longer than we ever want to be there. Who redeems. That, I love that word, redeems. He trades it in for something better. Way better. He redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you. If it wasn't enough to pull you out of the pit, he puts a crown on your head, and he crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Still want more? You're still not quite... Still not quite there to recognize that. Well, let's give you more. John 17. Listen to Jesus in one of his final prayers. 
I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your power, the power of your name. The name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name, the name you gave me. Hallowed be your name. Our Father, the greatest Father in all creation, you're in heaven where you will wipe away my tears and there'll be no death. I lift up and praise your mighty name. Hallowed be your name. Your name is above all names. There is no name like your name. Your name protects me. Your name has power. Your name brings me into the family. To hallow the name is to enter into the very heart and the life of who God is and to dwell there. It's to find our identity as loved of God there in his name. It is to flow with God's very authority and power as we obey his promptings. Here's what we're asking when we pray, hallowed be thy name. We're praying that God himself will accomplish the hallowing of his name through us. Catch that? So when you pray, hallowed be thy name, you are saying, God, your name will be magnified in my life. I want to serve you and be part of hallowing your name. I want your name to be lifted up because of the way and how I live my life. This isn't a locker room prayer before a football game, is it? I'm glad they pray it. So don't hear me wrong. But to take it in, to drink it in, to drink in the presence of the Father and the reality of heaven and the hallowed high nature of his name, despite the sin and the evil that resides in the created realm, God will act through us to accomplish his purposes. Catch this. He washes us, then he uses us. This is a partnership prayer by his name, not our name. Thank God it's not by my name. And yours too, okay? How important is a name and how important is it to stand up for the name a little video clip that's like a hundred years old I mean like Kirk Douglas was just like a young man then so let's take a look at it I bring a message from your master Marcus Licinius Crassus commander of Italy by command of his most merciful excellency your lives are to be spared Slaves you were, and slaves you remain. 
But the terrible penalty of crucifixion has been set aside on the single condition that you identify the body or the living person of the slave called Spartacus. stand up for the name of Christ earlier talked about if we share in his sufferings we'll also share in his glory when we share in his sufferings we'll also share in his glory so what did it cost Jesus to glorify the name of his father John 12 shows us now my soul is troubled as Jesus was looking forward and sharing with his disciples what was ahead for him. So my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. This hour he wanted to be saved for, from was not just the suffering, which who in the room would not want to be saved from that? but to be separated from Almighty God for even a moment. To consider that was inconceivable to him. He said, no, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What was the purpose of his death? Yes, to save us, but truly it was to glorify the name of God. To take back the glory that had been given over on this earth. As a reminder of the power of the name, I want you to look at what happened when Christ declared that he is the I am, Jesus, knowing. Knowing all that was going to happen to him went out and asked him, who is it that you want? What's the scene here? The garden. He's about to be arrested and go to his crucifixion to be betrayed by Judas. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he. That's the name of God in the Old Testament that was given. The correct pronunciation for the name of God in the Old Testament that man could not speak, the pronunciation was lost because it was never spoken. But the substitute for the power of that name is here in two words, three letters, I am. Jesus said, then Jesus said, I am he. They drew back 
and they fell to the ground. Now, glorify that name. That name that took the Roman soldiers, the soldiers of the people of Israel, and it drove them to the ground. How? Because he threw something at them? No, the power of his name. You know what this is a picture of? It's a picture of a God that's in absolute control. Christ did not have to go to the cross for you. Except that he said, I'm going to glorify my Father's name. And if the cross is how I glorify my Father's name, then I go to the cross. Think of it. They were knocked, every one of them, to the ground. Embrace when you pray our Father, Him as your Father. Identify with heaven itself, our Father in heaven. Recognize when you hallow His name. You are inviting yourself into the battle to raise up the name of Christ and it will be a battle the name of God and next be fully aware of the true conflict it's critical that you know this what is the central theme of life the battle of life what is it all about in a moment we're going to look at it in this passage but you've got to get a hold of this. Movies are made with this theme. Good and evil. It's the battle that exists. <clears throat> I referred to it last week, Colossians 1, 12 and 14, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. This is what the Father did. Oh, by the way, a lot of, the first time I read this passage, I was thinking that's what Jesus did. Well, I know Jesus is part of the Father. and I get all that, all right? But this was the work of the Father. It says to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. You are now qualified. You're not qualified on your own, your good looks, your riches, whatever. Even your nice car doesn't qualify you. Nothing qualifies you. Nothing. But you're qualified to share in the inheritance of his holy people, remember we're his people, in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us, like a fireman rescuing you out of a burning building, from what? The dominion of darkness. That's the theme of life right here. The dominion of darkness versus the kingdom of light. That's it. The rest of life is about what kingdom or dominion, you will have allegiance to. That's it. But God has qualified you and rescued you so you can be part of the kingdom of light out of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. What's Jesus' role in this? Redemption and forgiveness of sins. What's God's role in this? Qualification, rescuing, and bringing us, like that fireman, carrying us out of the flame. You see the work of the two in this passage? It's amazing. Just amazing. You see, Adam and Eve, they were born of dust. All right? They were made from dirt. And the Spirit of God breathed life into them. So they were dust and spirit. How did they do with that? How did they do between the dominion of darkness and kingdom of light? They made a choice. And by their choice, we follow suit. And we are in the dominion of darkness. And unless rescued, we stay there. That's where we abide. That's where we exist. Why did Jesus have to come to be he was spirit first, right? But he was also then born of dust. So Jesus is now spirit and dust. Just as Adam and Eve were dust and spirit. But the outcome was totally different with Jesus. From the History Channel and the Bible, let's watch this video. God and serve him. 
what was the goal of the tempter? The goal of the tempter was to see Jesus bow down to him and surrender from him what Adam and Eve had surrendered to him. And yet Jesus did absolutely the opposite. And he took back the opportunity for us to be part of the kingdom of light. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Embrace the Father as your Father and live in the reality of heaven. Worship the power and the majesty of his name and be fully aware of the true conflict between the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of light. And every time you go through a temptation, recognize you are being asked to bow down to the usurper, the one that is still in this world. And God is asking you to stand up for him. Finally, when we pray this prayer, we are praying to bring back the king in his kingdom. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Pop quiz. There's several things you need to have to have a kingdom. What do you think they are? Anybody? What do you have to have if you're going to have a kingdom? Uh, you think? Yeah, you need subjects. You need people, but you need a king. You've got to have a king to have a kingdom. I'd like you to look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. It says, On his robe and on his thigh, remember he's riding a white horse, <laughs> He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he returns again, he won't be having conversation with Satan in the wilderness. Everything is new. Look at Revelation 17. They will wage war against the Lamb. See, fight to the bitter end. The Lamb. The Lamb is the one that was sacrificed for us. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. I'm pleased to say that's us if you are in Christ. However, um, being in Christ isn't something that's automatically passed on to you because your parents are in Christ or you know somebody in Christ or even that you came to church today. It has nothing to do with it. It's where you personally say, that's my king. 
and the sacrifice that he made for me is for me. And you renounce and say, the dominion of darkness is not, is not what I want to serve. The kingdom of light, that's where I want to be. I repent and give it all to you. When you pray for the kingdom, his kingdom to come, you are entering into a spiritual battle. You're going to look at the prayer differently for the rest of your life. This prayer is not a lightweight locker room prayer. When you pray it, you're accepting your orders for battle. But remember this, even though the battles will be difficult, the war has already been decided. It has been won. You cannot lose if you are in Christ. Stand up in the full allegiance to the king. From now on, when you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. As it is, is in heaven, you are embracing the Father as your Father. You are living in the reality of heaven, trading out the reality of this life. You are worshiping the majesty and the power of his name. You are becoming fully aware of the true conflict between the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of light. And you are bringing back the king and his kingdom. You have a role in that. Let's pray together. Our God. No, I should say our Father. who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.